The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. I think today's going to just be hard for many when I preach today. I just think it's going to be difficult. And Lord, I just pray for your grace and your mercy to come ever so close Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate as well as I possibly can under the anointing of your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be um, good hearers, we'd be good listeners, Lord, that we'd be able to receive your word with faith, that you'd be able to help us through all the different bits of this, I pray in Jesus' name. And we agree together. Amen. So we're going to continue our preach series, um, God's better story. And as, as you listen today, can I please just encourage you to bear in mind where Andrew started last week. And you remember he was laying various foundations out, two of which were, well, two of which firstly was God is creator. He has made it all. But secondly, because God is creator, he is also the one with authority. And it's important that we, we lay that out here um, and we're reminded of this at the very beginning. As we look, to be honest, as we look all the way through this preacher is God's better story, remembering who God is is really, really important. Today we're going to look at the whole subject of sexuality and marriage. Um, I have been married for 22 years. Um, that's right, isn't it? So just check in. I've got it wrong before, so I don't take anything for granted now. Um, I have the privilege of having four boys. And in preparing for this, um, I am aware of how unsorted I am and how much further I've got to go. I think Chloe is a lot more sorted than I am when it comes to marriage. Um, but you've got me um, uh, for, for the preach. As we look through this whole subject of sexuality and marriage, we're going to look at three key passages. We're going to look back in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look into the book of Revelation um, as well. And the reason we're looking at the Bible is because the Bible is what gives us authority to say the things that we're saying. So what you're getting today is not my best ideas or my, well, actually, you are going to hear some top tips, but, but that's not the main basis of it. Um, what, we're, what we're going to be talking about is what does Scripture say about the subject of sexuality and marriage? And our confidence through this preach series is keeping going back to the Bible. As I prayed at the beginning, for some of you here today, your experience of sexuality and marriage is potholed with pain and disappointment. It just hasn't gone as you wanted it to go. And so as we take this journey over the next sort of 25 minutes, um, I want to do so with both compassion, but also with clarity. I want to communicate, hopefully compassionately, for those that have got um, a story that is difficult and troubled but I also want to communicate God's word as clearly and as concisely as I can 
because it's so important that we understand what Scripture says on these things. And if you're not married here today, you might be thinking, oh, good, I can just, I can just zone out. Please don't. Please listen in because one, as a family, we support one another in all different things of life. And two, I absolutely believe that God will speak to you uh, through what I am saying today. So let's just briefly, firstly, touch on the whole subject of sexuality. Adult humans are sexual beings and this is part of God's good design. We are designed to have sexual attraction and desire Sexualities are a good gift from God. And I, I just sort of want to lay that out there at the very beginning. When we uh, look at Genesis chapter 2, which is where we're going to start, we're going to see that the passage describes life before sin entered the world. So before evil and brokenness and self-centeredness entered the world, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Then it goes on. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we see right at the very beginning, Adam and Eve created with sexual attraction and desire but no shame or brokenness. This is a good gift from God. I, I want to keep sort of mentioning that. Our sexuality, our desires, attraction is not inherently bad. It's not something that needs to be rejected or ignored. And in the history of the church in the past, often that's what the church has said. It's a bad thing. It's a dirty thing. We, we shouldn't be um, thinking about that. But equally, neither is it the most important thing that must be fully embraced and expressed if you're to become the real authentic you. So it's not to be ignored, nor is sexual attraction and desire the most important thing in life either. Later on, we read in Genesis chapter 3, we find that all of life gets affected by the fall. It gets affected by sin and our rebellion against God. And that's true when it comes to our sexual desires and our attraction as well. What was given as a good gift has become marred and it's become distorted. And so as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, obviously feel free to listen in, but I'm not actually talking to you. This is about, this is for those that are following Jesus? What does it look to line up your life with what is taught in Scripture? As followers of Jesus, we need to turn back to God as the creator and the one with authority and find out how we should steward our sexuality in the right way. The Bible says that it is an extremely good gift given by God. But if it's to be enjoyed, if it's to be life-giving, 
If it's to be God glorifying, we need to go back to what he says in the word and take our lead from that. So let's, we've, we've briefly touched on sexuality. Let's just have a look at marriage. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be talking about singleness. And it's going to be amazing to hear about that today. I'm just talking about marriage, okay? Marriage is also a good gift from God. In actual fact, it is an extremely good gift from him. And marriage is part of God's good plan before sin ever entered the world. We've already read about it in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It's interesting to note that man on his own was not good. That doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that every man needs to get married. I'm not saying that. But actually in creation, before woman was created, man wasn't doing so well on his own. Everything else in creation was good, but, but being on his own, that wasn't good. And as human beings, we only reflect God and we're only image bearers, man and woman together. It's man and woman together that reflect the image of God, made male and female. And that's, that's across the board. That's in church life, but it's also in marriage as well. There is something unique about husband and wife reflecting the image of God together. And it's also worth noting that man's first words were an expression of love towards his soon-to-be wife. Just interesting. They're the first words that are recorded that man said. I'm sure he probably did say other stuff, but God clearly didn't think they were worth recording. But when he got to talking about how much he loved his soon-to-be wife, he thought that was worth responding to. As with sexuality, marriage is still a good gift, but it has been marred and it has been disfigured by sin. And we're going to see that because we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19 now. So Matthew 19, this is Jesus teaching um, something about marriage. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, the Pharisees were looking to test Jesus. They were looking to trap him, and they, were, they asked him a question about divorce. And you can tell from the way that that passage is written, divorce, certainly at least for men in that day, was a very easy thing for them to get. And how did Jesus answer it? Jesus didn't give his opinion, although he could as the son of God. He went back to scripture. He went back to the Bible. He went back to the beginning. He went back to Genesis, how it was designed at the very beginning in order to find the answer. So what do we find in Matthew 19? What are some of the clues? Now, I'm sure you'll have seen them there even as we're reading, but I make no apology 
for highlighting them to you because it's important that we see these things. Verse 5 says this, that marriage is one man and one woman coming together. It's a union of difference. It's not two two the same, it's two different. Can you see that there? He made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Continuing in verse 5. As the couple consummate their marriage, basically that means as they have sex, the two become one flesh. Coming together of two lives in a one flesh union, this is not casual, this is not purely recreational, you are joining to another person. So even if you're not married and you have sex, it is a joining of some sort that takes place, which is why sex is designed for the marriage covenant. Because there's something amazing that goes on within it. This is not two halves coming together, it's two holes making one new whole. What's it say in verse 6? It says that God's involved in this. This is not just a human invention. God is involved in it. What God has joined together. So something in the vows being made and the marriage being consummated, God is involved at the very heart of what is going on there. This is sacred because God is involved. This is precious because God is involved. And then, can you see as it moves on, second half of verse 6, it says, let no one separate. This is designed to be a lifelong union. We are not meant to separate what God has joined. The ending of a marriage was never God's intention. The promises that we make at the wedding ceremony are not a contract being formed, they are a covenant being made. They are not conditional. And it's within this lifelong, faithful, exclusive, covenanted relationship between one man and one woman that our sexual attraction and our sexual desire can be fully and safely expressed. That's how God has designed for it to work. Covenant vows made before God said to each other in front of the congregation, in front of the church. It's a relationship built on covenant promises of self-sacrificial love. What you're promising is I'm with you through the thick and thin. I'm with you in sickness. I'm with you in poverty. I'm with you in failure. I'm with you. And God is there in the middle of it all. This is God's plan. This is his design. And marriage covenant reflects something of his phenomenal covenant with us as his people. His commitment to us. There is never going to be a point where the father looks down and thinks, I've changed my mind. I don't don't want you anymore. You've sinned one too many times. You've let me down one too many times. No, 
God has entered a covenant with us, his people, and it is awesome and it is wonderful. And in some small way, the marriage covenant that if you are married here today, you are in, reflects something of that commitment of God to his church, Christ to his church. One of the blessings within marriage is God's gift of children. Marriage creates a secure, loving foundation for children to be born and nurtured. And I know children aren't always possible within a marriage, but, but they are one of the blessings that, that God gives. Today, just as in Jesus' day, things sometimes don't work out according to God's original intention. As I said earlier, what God gave as a good gift can just be marked with suffering and disappointment. And within marriage and family, we can often see the most devastating effects of sin lived out. And if that's your situation here today, I I first just want to say well done for your courage being here. But as a family, as a church family, we want to walk through it with you as well. We don't want you to walk through it on your own. Sometimes, sometimes it will mean, because covenant promises are broken, that the marriage ends in divorce. In those situations, it won't be the divorce that breaks the covenant it will be what has gone before it. But it is possible from even the most difficult circumstances for hope to be found and restoration is possible. It is possible from even the most difficult circumstances for hope to be found And restoration is possible. And as a church, we we walk, we want to walk, we must walk patiently, supporting, protecting, encouraging those who are going through difficult times in their marriages. And, and, And there will be numbers of you here today where it's just really, really hard. And if you're honest, you can't see God in it. Can I just say, just briefly, pastorally, church, please do be careful if you only hear one side of a story. Do use it for prayer, support, love, empathise, but do remember you've only heard one side of a story. And it may be largely true, but, but just be cautious with that. Somehow, as a church, we need to carry both God's wonderful promises and intent when it comes to marriage, and yet also walk alongside those who have been hurt and become broken because of the marriages that they were part of. We need to, walk, we need to do both. Have high aspiration and, and, and expectation, and then yet walk through in difficult times. 
And please, please hear me now loud and clear. Having a high view of marriage as described by the Bible must never be used as a reason for someone to stay in an abusive or harmful marriage. That is never a reason for someone to stay in a harmful or abusive marriage. If you are unsafe, you need to get out and you need to find help. Do you understand? If things have been stirred up, if you want to talk to someone on the back of what you're hearing today, please grab one of the, um, one of the elders, eldership couples, leadership couples, um, one of the pastors, if you want to talk any of this through. Before, before I move on to my last point, and, and it's going to help us to come back into worship, um, I've got some top tips for marriage. Do you want to hear them? Some are mine, and the wise ones are Chloe's, okay? Actually, we could, do, we could do a raise of hands, whether you think they're mine or Chloe's, on the, way, on the way through. Firstly, don't dig your heels in unnecessarily. Learn to compromise. Don't allow pride to... And by the way, these are good tips just for relationships. Do you know what I mean, if I'm honest? Don't dig your heels in. Learn to compromise. Um, Prioritise each other's needs. We won't ask whether you think me or Chloe is better at at that. I don't want to embarrass her. Um, (laughs) No, I've realised the longer I've been married how naturally selfish and lazy I am. Um, Yeah, yeah, actually I saw that was a confession that came out. Anyway, so be, be quick, be quick to forgive. Don't, don't build cases against your spouse. You're not a lawyer that needs to gather evidence and then declare guilt. Don't, don't build cases. Be quick to forgive. Get good at forgiving. The more you forgive, the easier it comes. Now, Depending on situations, I'm talking about the normal ups and downs of relational life. Obviously, some times things happen in marriage where forgiveness is, is massively painful and incredibly difficult. And that needs to be navigated very thoughtfully and very carefully. But in the ups and downs of your, your married life, forgive quickly. There's no I do transformation. What do I mean by that? Basically, when you say I do on your wedding day, you're the other half does not become a different person. They are exactly the same person that they were. All they've done is said, yes, I'm going to marry you. And so all of the challenges and all of the difficulties that they had before, they will carry them right into married life. And more than likely, you're going to become even more aware of them than you were before. Because you're living in much closer proximity. Um, So, yeah, anyway. If marriage feels difficult... It's not because you're incompatible, it's because you're married. I'm assuming it's all the single people who are clapping, not the married people 
who are letting that settle down. If you feel, if marriage feels difficult, it's not because you're incompatible, it's because you're married. Let me ask you a question, who's speaking into your marriage? Where are you going for help? And by the way, don't get advice from people who are as silly as you. Look for someone you think is wiser than you, who's further ahead than you that can help. It's probably not advice if you're talking to people as silly as you. You're probably just gossiping a bit and moaning about your spouse. So look for someone that is ahead who can help. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, It's the main tool for a good marriage. When you pray together, that's really, really good because obviously you're praying, you're connecting with Jesus. For myself and close, what we realise is when we pray together, it also helps us to talk and communicate because we talk about what we want to pray about. And to be honest, we probably, well, we don't pray as much together as we could. We'd like to grow in that. But communicate, 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 communicate. And the fact you're doing a lot of talking doesn't necessarily do a lot of communicating. You know what I mean on that? Um, Don't compare yourselves with other couples or other individuals. It will kill you. As an individual, if you compare yourself to someone else, that will kill you. God has given you a lane to run in. Run in that. Set your eyes on Jesus. Get help from others, but do not compare. And please don't compare your spouse with someone else. Um, Remember different seasons of life. Um, and you will drift from one season to the next and you won't even realise you've done it. But you will be in a different season and that will have both different benefits and it will have different challenges. So maybe a newly married couple with no kids, loads of freedom, do what you want. First child comes along. That's right, Tom. No, no sleep. Very little sex, the whole of life is different. But actually, when you go from working life to retirement, that's a big change as well. And we've just got to be aware of all of these different seasons and all of these different changes. Um, and then lastly, nothing takes the place of individually looking to grow as a Christian. What has done... My marriage, the most good other than Chloe, is me looking to keep growing as a follower of Jesus. Because it's when I'm with him that he convicts me that I should ask for forgiveness from Chloe. It's him that challenges me to make up or to serve Chloe better. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus that I want to do those things better. Anyway, um, anyway, that finishes those. So, um, and with my two and a half minutes I have left, is, is marriage just about the here and now or does it point to something different? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. The words will come up. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, these, were, these are the true words of God. Marriage in this age is a great blessing, but it doesn't totally fulfill us. It leaves gaps. Throughout the Bible, marriage is spoken about as a picture of something much greater than what we see in the here and now. When we see marriage now, it's like watching a trailer of a film that's going to be released later. You know you watch a trailer and you see just two minutes of it, but there's a two-hour two um, wonderful thing that you're going to, hopefully wonderful thing, you are going to see later. The trailer has similarities to the film, but it's not the whole thing. In this passage, we see there is one last great marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. That's what marriages in the here and now are pointing towards. This is what we have to look forward to. Jesus says there won't be giving in marriage in heaven. Not in that way, but we will, as his people, be married to Christ and there will be this marriage supper. And whether you are married or whether you are single, this is what we look forward to. And this is eternal. This goes on forever. A marriage that is genuine, lasting, beautiful and true. This is where all of history is heading, a great marriage supper. So we find in the Bible God's better story, which will only be fully fulfilled when we go to be with him. It will only be fully fulfilled when we go to be him, with him. And until that time, with both faith and fear, because he's God and he's laid it out for us, we look to follow God's good plan in a broken world. Knowing that sexuality in singleness and marriage is best lived out in the way that God intended and God described in the Bible. It's the best way to live fruitful, God-glorifying lives. Can I invite the band back up, please? Because on the back of this, we are going to worship Jesus. We, as part of the bride, are coming to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But before we do that, I just would like to pray for us here. You okay to stand? Would that be all right? come to you the God of mercy and the Father of compassion. We come to you, Jesus, who gave himself up to cleanse us from sin, all shame and all unrighteousness. We come to you, Holy Spirit, who has, if we're followers of Jesus, you have taken us and you have united us with Jesus.
I pray for those right now where Satan is tempting you to despair and telling you of all the guilt that is within. I ask, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you help, help those to lift heads and see you, Jesus, who took away all sin and paid the price. I ask you for those living in shame and feeling in just some way they could have done more or should have done more or where did it go wrong? Oh God, where were you? Why has it gone so badly wrong? I pray, Lord God, please would you help these dear ones to process their their grief and their loss well with you. Lord, I ask you for those who are married in the room, Lord, please would you help us. Please would you help us to be the husbands, the wives, Lord, you'd call us to be. I pray in all of the mess and in all the brokenness and all the things that go wrong, Lord Jesus, please help us to keep our eyes on you. Please help us to keep our hearts soft. Keep us responding to you. Lord, I ask you for those that are in marriages and they just do feel unsafe. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you keep them safe and would you give them great wisdom to know if they need to get out. Lord, we we look for your grace and your comfort to come. And in the midst of that, Lord, I pray that as we worship and as we glorify you and as we think of you, the bridegroom, who's coming for his bride, the glorious church, I ask you that we would be able to worship and glorify you as you deserve. That as we take the bread and wine, Lord, we'd be able to remember you and all that you've done for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.